And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of This Show is All About You, a show about all the ways in which you and me connect as we and what that means for all of us. I am your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. You can find out more about me at my website. That is wordsbyjdk.com. And on my social media feeds at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and I should pop up uh, right there for you. So welcome to episode 33, everyone, of this show for August 23rd, 2021. And today's title uh, of the show is Everybody Just Calm the Bleep Down. (laughs) Uh, That includes myself. Um, And mainly because... um, been a heavy uh, couple weeks of subjects on this show, and uh, today may not necessarily be an exception. However, uh, I wanted to shift gears a little bit uh, today around that idea of everybody just calming the bleep down. Uh, I have to remind myself this of, of that quite often, and I actually, as you'll see, uh, hopefully by the end of the show, I think it's absolutely vital, uh, not just for my individual well-being, but for all of us. I think things would go a lot better if we all just calmed the bleep down. Can you tell I'm having fun with this title? Uh, Because I am. Uh, Today's haiku uh, will give you an idea of where we're going to go today. And it goes like this. Plagues and locusts fly and we fear the end of things. But first, tomorrow. (laughs) Meaning uh, one day at a time, right? That's a simple way of of putting it out there. Uh, But let me me get into this uh, right away from the very start. And and uh, first of all, thanks to everybody who is uh, supplying feedback on the last few episodes. Uh, and it's been really positive uh, so far, particularly since we, beginning of the month, took on a new sponsor, uh, Airway Science for Kids. And some people noted uh, that every episode since then has had some sort of aviation component to it, which I didn't quite realize until somebody pointed that out. And it's not just because it's Airway Science for Kids. I love airplanes, so that's, that's part of it. So I could tell airplane stories all day long and then finish it up by telling them all night long. Uh, But that's not the reason why, but it just sort of worked out that way. But for those of you who haven't heard me talk about Airway Science for Kids yet, uh, it is a a Portland-based nonprofit that works with underserved youth to provide career pathways in aviation and aerospace. They do everything from direct education programs for kids as young as um, elementary school all the way up through high school and beyond. But they also uh, facilitate a lot of things through various partnerships with uh, companies, with educational entities, government organizations, uh, other nonprofits, you name it. And really, in the end, it's to help uh, underserved youth learn to what degree, and it's to a very large degree, they have a lot of say over their own lives. And they can take ownership over that and find, uh, find their direction, find their pathway. So that is what they do. I'm a big fan of any kind of work like that, but particularly the way Airway Science for Kids does it. They are amazing, and you can check them out uh, at airsci.org, A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Okay, so with that, so what does all that have to do with this idea of just calming the bleep down? Well, uh, certainly (laughs) there's a lot to it, Okay, but uh, let me tell you what it does not mean uh, because this is oftentimes what happens. In, In light of all the serious things going on in the world. And last week, you know, I spent the entire episode talking about uh, what was happening in Afghanistan and continues to happen in Afghanistan. And that was heavy duty. And I, you probably picked up on it. My energy was really up. I was not happy uh, then. I was angry. I was upset. I was frustrated, um, kind of resigned on some level. Um, 
but I certainly wasn't calming the bleep down <laughs> during that episode. And I think sometimes what happens with all these things, and I'll get into a list here shortly, uh, we think that if we just calm down in a certain situation or series of situations, that means that we don't care as much or that we're being lazy or that we're just going to accept the status quo about whatever it is or we're going to give up. Uh, and oftentimes the, the, the messaging we get is that, right? The loudest voices get the most attention on social media and just about anywhere else. And usually those loud voices aren't calming the bleep down. Right? They're doing the exact opposite. And I would say it should be the exact opposite. So in case you're wondering where this came from, uh, I had a very interesting week <laughs> after our last episode. Uh, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't an easy week. Certainly, uh, the situation in Afghanistan continued uh, to go poorly uh, from, from a week ago, and it continues to be a struggle. There have been some pretty amazing stories, as I mentioned last week, uh, individual acts of people uh, helping uh, Afghans escape. Uh, two of my favorites was uh, the Air Force C-17 transport that just decided to pack over 600 people into its cargo hold when it normally holds about 150 and flew them out uh, in the middle of the night, <laughs> which that was amazing. Another one was uh, a woman in Oklahoma who took it upon herself to make sure that as many members of an Afghan girls robotics team got out of Afghanistan as quickly as possible. There were about 50 on this team. She got out nine, the last I checked. Um, and so you have those individual stories, I think, that, 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 as I mentioned last time, in the midst of terrible things, sometimes the best of humanity uh, shows in that and shines because of that. So there was certainly all of that going on. And let me kind of take it for me. Let me take it down to sort of the smaller uh, things going on for me. And then go to some of the bigger ones. So, for example, one of my closest friends, uh, despite being vaccinated, uh, developed COVID, the Delta variant. And he's got underlying health conditions and is not feeling too good. Not idea, no idea how that's going to go for him. His wife is sick, too. And uh, that's a deep concern. And he's, he's dearly loved in several communities. And uh, so there's a lot of fear going on in me as well as uh, those uh, friends of mine who know him. So that's one. Uh, I have another friend who this week emerged after weeks of silence. I'd been trying to reach him for a long time. And when he finally reached out again, he was in a very bad way. And he struggles with a lot of things. And I do my best to help him. I've been mentoring him for a few years now. Uh, but I'm not sure it's going to work. Uh, I'm really worried for him. Uh, and some of us who are all in his circle, wonder if he's about 50-50 at best uh, to work through all this. And he's weighed down by many of the things uh, that we are all facing, uh, but he's struggling with that. I have another friend whose, uh, whose marriage is imploding, uh, and it's certainly time uh, for them to move on, and they know that. So in the big scheme of things, it's a good thing, but in the moment, <laughs> it's terrible. It's raw, and it's sad, and it's uncertain. And everything flies around. And, and so to show up for people who are going through that uh, is, is something that I've been trying to do. Let's see. What else? Book rejections continue. So that's fun. <laughs> so, so, yeah, Stacy, my producer's on. <laughs> Hi, Stacy. Hi. Uh, you have some thoughts on this, I'm sure. Uh, I turned 48 in about two weeks. So I'm coming up on the big 5-0. And for whatever reason, you know, that always seems to 
stick in people's minds. Uh, so I'm aware that's coming. No, 48 is not close to 50. Well, it's it's closer than 47. So anyway, hold on. I'm, a, I'm on a roll here. Let me go here. Right. So other things. Why don't I have more zeros on the right side of the ones and nines in my bank account? <laughs> I've been wondering about that too. Getting better, okay? but that's still an issue, right? All right, so that's the, the micro stuff. The macro, I mentioned Afghanistan. There are forest fires all over the West. There are floods in Tennessee. Fall and COVID, schools, mask mandates, super spreader events, doctors and nurses burning out on compassion. These are all things that we keep hearing about time and time again. Whew, you ratcheted it up yet? Because it's real easy. And right now, and I'm the one who is talking about this, and all of a sudden, I'm not calming the bleep down. So, Stacy, are you calming the bleep down? Oh, no. No? Okay. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Pushing every button. Pushing every button, right. So, well, there's, there's, a, there's a method to that madness. And, and, but here's what shifted. Um, in the past few days, with all of that going on, and, you know, just all the everyday things that I didn't even mention that are always in there, getting a flat tire, for example, in my car, stuff like that. Uh, something profound happened uh, within me, and it started when I started connecting with some of these close friends. And I just started calming the bleep down, mainly because uh, I started to realize that it wasn't serving me to be otherwise. And then, to cap that off over the weekend and then today, I ended up having a wonderful exchange on Twitter with a fellow author. Uh, she found my feed, followed it, went and looked at wordsbyjdk.com, read the prologue to my book, and was kind enough uh, to take time from her very busy schedule. She's got a very active Twitter feed with lots of followers uh, to say hello and to say what she appreciated about that. And we ended up having a, a really great conversation on Twitter uh, for all, all the eyes to see about the importance of historical perspective in our writing. And uh, if you want to look her up, her name is Athena M. Kamen. I, Kaiman? Kaiman. I think it might be Kaiman. I'm sorry, Athena, if I uh, butchered that one way or the other. One of them is wrong. But nevertheless, um, Athena and I had a, a, a nice exchange. She writes um, young adult science fiction with an eye on empowering her readers to do something about climate change. And she has a, an article uh, that she wrote for another uh, site called Why I Write. And she talked about the importance of the historical perspective she was putting into her story to help kids learn how to uh, advocate for themselves and shape their own future with climate change. She can explain it a lot better than I can. But nevertheless, uh, she incorporated history into that narrative. And we kind of went back and forth on some things and, and the importance of history in, in our writing and certainly in, in my historical fiction it is. And uh, in the end of this exchange, I, I just kind of reflected and said to her that um, I think the biggest gift that studying history uh, can do is that it provides perspective. And then I got thinking on the other side of this is what happens when we reflect on perspective, when we go, okay, I need another perspective on this. Or, oh, here's a new perspective I haven't thought of. Think of what automatically happens. We start to calm the bleep down. We start to get out of that possibility that whatever crazy story we are running with about something in the present may not be true. We just become open to the possibility of something else or another way of looking at it or some other things to consider. In a lot of ways, we can start to maybe be open to the idea that we don't know what we don't know. 
about a given situation. That could be true about a situation with a friend, a partner, something going on in the world, whatever it might be. In the case of history, if we were going to talk about it in the big terms, right, historical event terms, um, there are some things that, that Athena and my conversation reminded me of. And it's some things worth keeping in mind as we kind of push this idea of just calming the bleep down. Uh, I mentioned some of them on the show before, but I think they're worth mentioning again. First, uh, big perspective shift. Uh, if you study history long enough from any direction at any time and in any place in this world, you will see that any society at any given time has had a thread of their existence that has believed strongly that things could not get any worse. That everything is on the verge of the abyss, spilling over, that old ideas are falling away, and because of that, everything is going to Hades or whatever version of their underworld they might have. And therefore, something either needs to be done or it needs to be embraced. You have people who say it's not, it's a good new thing. The, the contours of those debates and those differences are part of what's being human, and history can show that. What are the things that despite culture and time, technology, remain similar from person to person, no matter when they live, where they live, what they do, that type of thing. There's another thing that comes out to this too, is because of that, humanity has a habit, it seems like, of waiting until their collective backsides are in a sling to really make major changes in anything. <laughs> you know, and unfortunately, that is a maddening part of the human experience. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about world wars. We can talk about so many different things. We can talk about, right now, pandemics. Um, I mean, I think we will reflect a few years from now on the other side of this. Please let that other side arrive soon. On the other side of this, that how remarkable it was that a vaccine was developed for this virus within a year. And it was so widely, and it's been so widely successful so far. That is an amazing, incredible story, no matter which way you slice it. And, and yet, right, sometimes it seems really scary for us to say, well, I guess we just have to wait till our collective backsides are in a sling. Because what if that balancing act doesn't work? Right now, we talk about that a lot with climate change. The uh, U.N. climate report that just came out a couple weeks ago is sobering reading, and it is signed uh, off on by hundreds and hundreds of the top scientists in the world on that. And, of course, we all know that there's plenty of discussion going on about what all that means. But it's led to some fatalism and to some cynicism and deep fears by people like Athena and others about what the future holds. And so she writes about it as a way to do something. And I can't wait to read it. I, I, I just, it looks fascinating to me. But we have some historical examples of this. It reminds me of the acronym during the Cold War that everyone knew called MAD. Stacy, did you know what MAD meant? The, the acronym? Uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. No, that's, that's, that's M-A-D-D. Ah, <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> that too. <laughs> but no. the MAD I'm talking about was something called Mutually Assured Destruction. It was, it was the acronym given to the dynamic that developed during the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States and then other nuclear powers like China, Great Britain, and France, that the idea was you built up your nuclear arsenals so large, made them so massive, that if one, you weren't going to have a nuclear exchange because you would mer you mutually assure each other's destruction if you started a war. That makes right. total sense. Right. 
So this, and this became a cornerstone, for better or for worse, historians still debate it, about for the peace of the Cold War. And I'm putting peace in quotes because the Cold War was anything but, uh, was anything but cold in a lot of ways. However, that idea, if you look at the historical course of the Cold War, there was no nuclear exchange during the Cold War. Now, that doesn't mean that mutually assured destruction was the right way to go because that's brinksmanship is not always the best idea, right? Going eye to eye, pointing a pistol at each other uh, is not the best way to keep from getting shot. Especially right? if you have an itchy trigger finger. Exactly, right. Or there's a mistake or something, some outside event. Like, happens. oh, that's what the red phone was for. Right. Oops. <laughs> yeah, eventually. But see, that red phone only came into existence after the Cuban Missile Crisis because during the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, which is the closest the world has ever gotten to a nuclear exchange between the superpowers, there was no way for Kennedy and Khrushchev to communicate with each other directly. It took back channels to end that crisis. And so after that, the red phone got put in. Oh. Uh-huh. See? Wow. In history, you cool. learned so uh-huh. much. Here you go. All right. So this reminds me of that in the sense that that and it was a very scary thing, right? The entire nuclear freeze movement was massive. Um, the fear people had of of nuclear war and nuclear winter. The uh, the movie The Day After in 1983 scared the uh, the hooey out of everybody. I was trying to find a word I could use. Bleep. The bleep <laughs> scared the bleep <laughs> out of everybody, and it was something that was a constant part of people's lives, and the fear of ending human existence in a heartbeat was a very real thing. And when you looked at just the number of missiles and the tensions, it seemed like a very real possibility that it could happen under various circumstances. I remember being a kid and wondering uh, in the 1980s, wondering if we'd ever see like 1995 <laughs> because the Soviets were going to nuke us back to the Stone Age, you know, that type of thing. And that was just a part of our wiring. And of course, history changed. And the Cold War ended for a lot of different reasons. Certainly the collapse of the Soviet Union, the difficulty of its, uh, of its economic system to really produce and compete against Western economic systems, the corruption of its government, that type of thing. But one thing I would point out is one of the key ingredients to why the Cold War ended was because everyday people in Eastern Europe decided when they had an opportunity decided to challenge the communist status quo in Eastern Europe. And when the Soviets did not fight that, overthrew communism and brought in democracy into Eastern Europe. And of course, the biggest symbol of that was the fall of the Berlin Wall in November of 1989. Everyday people who cared about everyday things, who had their own macro fears like we have today and their own smaller personal things going on, decided and took advantage of the opportunity when it presented itself to assert what they thought was right and do something. And it was almost without exception peaceful across the board. Most of these people, even though they were angry, they were upset, they were determined, their protests, in their protests, generally speaking, they calmed the bleep down. <laughs> they stayed consistent and calm. That's what did that. We could pick the civil rights movement, for example. Why was the civil rights movement so successful? In large part because of peaceful protest. People calming the bleep down. 
It didn't mean they cared less. It didn't mean they were less committed. It didn't mean they were less scared or less worried about the consequences of not doing something. But by staying calm, I think they found better avenues through which to bring about that change. Question. Sure. Is this where keep calm and carry on? That was during World War II. I know, but like it's this whole like move about the cabin, everything's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Keep calm and carry on, the slogan uh, put uh, all over London and elsewhere during the Blitz in World War II uh, to keep up morale for Londoners who are being bombed every day by the Germans, yep, and to just keep moving, keep calm and carry on. Uh, and some of that gets lost in myth, right? The myth of the, the, the stiff British upper lip and, right. you know, the droll, you know, humor of everything. Uh, people in Britain get scared and terrified and angry just as much as anybody else does. Sure. Uh, but nevertheless, yes, and it was a galvanizing idea. And certainly when we look at the historical result of that, right, the entire purpose of the Blitz was to bomb London into submission and hopefully break the will of the British people, and it didn't work. In fact, it did just the opposite. And that's not just true for the British. That's true for just about anybody. Um, people being hit in their own homes tends not to make them give up. It tends to make them dig in. So there are some things about that as well. And what we face with climate change, for example, is just as much of a global issue as mutually assured destruction was once upon a time. Right? It's, it's going to be on everybody's mind. And yet, what I've noticed is that there seems to be, because of the debate, which delves into the silly after a while around climate change, it's real, people. Let's just, just let's go with that. Nevertheless, by not being calm in the discussion, there isn't necessarily much attention being paid to what is actually being done by the people out there who are calming the bleep down <laughs> and doing things. And moving forward. Um, And oftentimes it's when we aren't calm that things become counterproductive. The debate becomes counterproductive. And that just spins up all the things that have us want to disconnect from all of that. History shows that crises are catalysts often for profound changes. And in addition, history is full of examples of unprecedented developments, which is one reason why I say history doesn't repeat itself. Because new technologies, for example, come along all the time. Airplanes. Bring it back to ask. No one could imagine that once upon a time. The internet. Space travel. (laughs) All those things were once myths and ideas in people's heads. Wishful thinking. And in the end became reality. And the fact of the matter is, is on a personal level, at least for me, and I'm wondering if it is this way for you, and I'm willing to bet it is. We can't do any of those things. We can't address those things, imagine those things, work towards those things personally or on a global level if we aren't calming the bleep down. It's not a woo-woo thing or a denial thing or a rebellious middle finger to the world thing. It's not any of those things. The great developments of history, which is the human story, which at once was the present, have not occurred because those names and those people and those events we know are people who lost their minds and lost their moods. Einstein didn't lose his mind and his emotional stability when he was a patent clerk. Louis Pasteur was renowned for his calm and his patience. He had to work for decades to develop the idea for vaccines and germ theory. Thomas Edison failed hundreds of times. So did Howard Hughes. Big entities like NASA have failed. (laughs) 
And even Iron Man <laughs> has failed. If you watch those uh, Iron Man movies, he fails all the time. Don't tell Grace. And he never loses it until the absolute pivotal time where he needs to in order to drive the plot forward. But I digress. Every major religious and philosophical tradition in the world emphasizes this idea of calming the bleep down and not getting ahead of ourselves. To focus on the need to be present and to act in our best interest and those of others at the same time. So to not do that is to actually in some ways deny being human. And we succumb to noise at best and at worst we give in to cynicism and despair. So for me, what does that look like? I do a lot of presence work, as a lot of people know. You should check out the, uh, the podcast I co-host with Tony Santabria, uh, Breaking Up With Our BS. Uh, but that includes meditation, prayer, and just connecting with myself and connecting with the people that I love. These are the cornerstones of what keeps me, the bleep, calm down. <laughs> Take all those things that I listed at the beginning. My friend with COVID, my friend struggling with depression, my friend facing divorce. How do I help them and how do they help themselves by panicking or by blaming or by trying to provide a quick fix? It doesn't. Being calm means we can connect. We can hear. We can accept ourselves and others where they're at. We can ask for help or ask an offer or offer it. We can work with others. Our bodies know how to hold stress and they also know how to let it go. And they want and it does want to let that go. So things are uncertain. Yeah, they are. So we need to work with them while also connecting with what we know is certain. The reality of our own lives and the beauty within it. Of our abilities to overcome things personally and collectively. Our love for others and theirs for us. The historical truth that possibility becomes reality a lot. And that what we once thought for decades, maybe centuries or millennia was impossible can become possible. If it fails in the end, well, we know we tried. And if we don't, we're guaranteed to. And of course, if you've seen any zombie movies, you know that it's the people who stay the calmest that usually end up winning out. All right. So. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of This Show is All About You. Thanks again to Athena for reaching out and making all this happen. I'm, I'm giving this one to you today. I appreciate it. I am J.D.K. Winnikin, your host. Uh, check my website out at wordsbyjdk.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Would love to chat with you more. And uh, until next week, everyone, when I will have a special guest in studio, chins up, everyone. <laughs>